I want to add my welcome to Aaron's. If you are a guest here with us virtually, wherever you're coming from, we want to say welcome to you, and we're glad that you're joining here with us. We count it as a privilege, and uh, we are grateful that you would take time to worship together, worship God together with us, and give attention to God's Word. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of John, the Gospel of John. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. In case you are wondering, it is the fourth book in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Um, All three of the books beforehand are all different uh, ways of telling of the good news of Jesus. And John has a unique way of telling of the good news. And so we'll be reading today from John's introduction or what we call his prologue. And we're going to be reading this book that tells about the good news, which, which by the way, we need good news right now. Uh, we, we really need good news today. You know, there's a, a uh, online live stream news service that just popped up recently. It's called SGN Some Good News because people are hungry and looking for some good news out there. And we have the greatest news. And we're going to look at, at news that's even better than what you can see on SGN. This is, this is the greatest news of all time. The news about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. We're going to be reading the first 18 verses, but we're going to focus on just a few important points from those verses, knowing that we're going to come to the truths in those verses. So if you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, he didn't unpack this piece of this piece of this piece. Well, um, the book of John gets to all of those things. This is the, the introduction, if you will, to the gospel, the good news about Jesus. So open up in your Bibles. We don't have uh, overheads for you. My computer crashed as I was doing the slides, so I apologize. We don't have slides for you. You'll just have to take notes Um, And um, pay attention this morning. So uh, turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This is God's holy inspired word, and it is meant to speak to our minds and hearts today. So let's read it together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that these words would be fresh for us today. God, we need the illumination of your word. We need the clarity that comes through your word. We need to refocus our gaze, our eyes on you through your word. I pray that you would enable us to do that, to set aside whatever is distracting us right now. Lord, we consciously just set that aside. And and Lord, might our prayer be, God, speak to us. We want to see you. We want to know you. God, give us faith in you. God, empower me as I preach This is only possible by the Holy Spirit. God, empower each and every person who is listening or watching to hear from you because that's only possible by your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, would you just speak into each and every one of our hearts? Would you open up our minds? Would you illuminate us? Would you bring us your life? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today as we begin, I want to ask you a question. It's, it's not a complex question, but it's a very important question. So whatever you're doing right now, um, whatever your kids are doing, whatever your pets are doing, wherever you are, however your day has gone so far, maybe your day has gone really well and you got up this morning and you had a breakfast and you had plenty of time and you had time with, with God and his word and, and then you had time with your family and it was relaxed and peaceful. If that's you, then I'm a little jealous so maybe that's you, but take time aside from how proud you are of how good your day is going. And, or maybe you are on the other side of things. Maybe your day has already been chaotic and hectic. Maybe you're out of coffee, you're out of tea, um, no matter whether you had breakfast or not. Maybe you slept, maybe you didn't sleep all night. I want you to take a deep breath and I want you to stop and think. So if you could do that with me. I can't see you, so I'm just going to have to assume that you're just going to take a deep breath. Okay, stop and think. I want, the question I want you to consider, it's an important question, and it's probably, if not the, it's, it's at least one of the most fundamentally important questions you can think about, and it's not a difficult, it's not a complex one, but it is an important question. Let me ask you this, and the thing I want you to consider is this, what do you need most right now? What do you need most right now? I want you to think about that. You know, maybe some are thinking a job or a relationship or health or whatever you have in your mind. What do you need most right now? It's a simple question, but it makes all the difference in your life and it makes all the difference in your outlook on life and how you live your life. How you answer that question, what do you need most right now? What do you need most in life? That is a question that shapes how you live life. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you're not sure how to answer that question. For those of us who are Christians, most of us, you know, like my kids, 
whenever they hear a question in church, it's become a running joke. You know, what's, whatever the question is, the right answer is God. So when, when I asked you what, what, what you need most right now, maybe you answered correctly. Maybe you said God. But I want you to think a little harder. I want you to think about functionally what you believe. Functionally, what are you believing? As simple as that answer might be that what we need most right now is God, functionally we forget that. Functionally we don't live there a lot of the time. Now what I mean by that is we can, we can know the right thing, but how we live out is we live out because, based on the fact that our knowledge, our understanding, our belief is that we really need something or someone else most. Sometimes what I think I need is something to make my life more relaxing. Sometimes I think I need a new gadget or a tool, a new device or a new thing. You know, when you're hungry, you, you need food. When you're thirsty, you need something to drink. When you're tired, you need sleep. When you feel marginalized or disrespected or dismissed or disregarded, you want respect. When I feel undervalued, I want to be valued. What do you need? When you're financially stressed, you can think that what you really need is to solve all your financial problems, maybe just winning the lottery. If you're relationally or emotionally stressed, maybe you have a disagreement with a friend, a family member, a spouse, child, parent, it can seem to you like what you need most in that moment is maybe your way or peace or maybe just relief. Where do you live functionally? How do you live functionally? What do you believe functionally that you need most? When you're sick, when you're struggling with an illness, or maybe you have a, a chronic long-term disease or long-term pain that's gone undiagnosed and they can't figure out the answer, maybe you feel functionally what, like what you need most is just to feel better, to not be sick, to not struggle physically. We're all under a lot of stress right now. Regardless of whether or not anything blatant is wrong in your life, we're all under a lot of stress. Maybe all you want is just a break. You know, all those things are good. We, we truly do need food. We truly do need sleep. We truly, um, it, it's good to want to have our stress relieved. It's good to want to have peaceful relationships. It's good to want emotional, relational peace. It's good to not be sick. It's good to feel well. It's, it's good not to struggle physically. But in all the daily moments of life, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm tempted to go from each thing that I think I need from one thing to another, thinking that those are the things I need the most. And so even though I know theologically that I need God the most, I, I, my vision goes, bounces from one thing to the next, the things I think I need. And functionally, I live as if I need something else to find life or enjoyment or meaning or fulfillment or worth or value. And when I don't get those good things, I, I get disappointed. I get, I get discouraged. Maybe I get stressed out, angry, bitter, resentful. I don't know about you. Um, if you are experiencing any of those things, maybe you are functionally answering that question of what you need most with something other than God. Or maybe you're feeling like it relies on you to get God, to get God's approval. What we really need right now, what what we need most is God because in God alone is found true life, true joy, true happiness, true peace, true satisfaction, true fulfillment, true worth, true value. 
So if God is the answer, though, how do we find God? How do we get God? How do we know God? That's, that's why we're here today. And that's why we are going to the book of John. You see, Jesus himself told us in the book of John the answer when he was talking to his disciples, Thomas. Uh, he was telling Thomas after Thomas is just doubting and John Thomas is wondering, how do, we, how do we get to God? How do we get to heaven? How do, we, how do we be with, how can we be with you? How can we see the Father? And in John 14, you can just write this verse down. You don't have to go there, but John 14, 6. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And by the way, I want to say thanks to whoever's doing projection because magically that just scripture came up. I know it's not magic, but for me it is because I didn't do that. So thank you, whoever that is. So Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do we get God? Oh, through Jesus. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. John, he was a beloved disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. He he learned the only way to know God, the only way to find what we need most is in and through Jesus Christ. That's why we're beginning this series on the book of John, on the gospel of John, because what we need most right now is not the economy to get back on track. We don't need a political solution. We don't need a cure for a disease. We, we don't need current crisis to be over. We don't need whatever problem you're facing to be solved most. Now, all those things would be great, we would love that. We would pray for that. It's good to pray for those things. Those aren't bad wants, bad desires. But let's not have any of those desires become greater than or functionally what we think we need most. So what we want to do as a church is we want to say, we're going to, we're going to set aside all the noise. We're going to set aside everything else. And we're going to intentionally, deliberately focus on what we need most, which is Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus, we have God. And Jesus is God. What we need is to focus on Jesus and find in him, in the gospel of John, find life in Jesus by believing in Jesus, by seeing who he is, seeing what he came for, what he's done. John tells his reader the whole purpose of his gospel, actually, in, in John 20, 31. He says, these are written, John 20, 31, these are written so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ. Now that's not, that's not his name, that's a title. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. These things are written, this, this gospel of John was written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, here's the point, that you might have life in his name. You know, sometimes uh, life, this world, can, can distract us and get us to think that true life is found in all these other things and finding answers to these things. And, and yet, those are all just distractions. And, and Jesus wants us to come to him and say, and, and find something in him that he wants us to find life in his name. Don't look for life in anything else. What we need most in life is to find our life in God. The only way we can find our life in God is through believing that Jesus is the Christ, is finding our life in his name, losing our life, and finding our life in his name. 
in order to believe, though, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that, that you, you need to start by knowing who he is, by knowing what he came to do, by knowing what he's done and, and where he's at now. You need to know some things about Jesus. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you need to know who he is. Who is this Jesus? You know, there's four different gospel accounts, and every gospel begins slightly differently, but all three of them begin with some kind of birth narrative, and yet John doesn't do that. He starts... He starts differently he starts with Jesus prior to his birth and then he leaps ahead to Jesus' ministry and he does that because he wants to draw our attention to who Jesus really is he wants us to see who Jesus is so we might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God so we might have life in his name you know when you first meet somebody you know, and like in any foreign language, you're first learning a foreign language, one of the first questions you learn is to ask, what's your name? That's, that's what you do when you meet somebody. What's your name? My name is Matt. What's your name? You, you want to get to know them. You want to find out where they're from, maybe. You know, where are you from? How'd you get here? What's your background? You know, what are you all about? You know, maybe, maybe you ask about their family. Maybe you ask about how they got to Greenville or wherever you are you know where do you come from and then and then maybe at some point depends on where you live in the country and apparently if you live in a city like washington dc one of the first questions is not even what do you what what do you you know where you come from but it's what do you do and so john helps to answer all these questions because he wants us to believe in jesus and so this prologue really lays out um, who, who jesus is what's his name who is he what's his background what does he come from and what he came to do what he does what he's done and so all of this is written so we might not know who Jesus is, believe in him, and find life in his name. And so we're going to briefly look at three different aspects. You can, if you're taking notes, you can, you can write these three things down. And don't worry, we're going to come to each one one at a time. But, but we're going to look at three different aspects in this prologue. And we're going to look at the great identity of Jesus. And I say the great identity of Jesus because often when we look at Jesus, we can think of him as small, as a baby, as confined, as, as human. And yes, he is those things. And that's important. But John says there's something else you need to see here. If you're really going to get who Jesus is, if you're really going to get this good news, you need to see something bigger. You need to see the great identity of Jesus. That's what we'll see in the first three verses, verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 4 through 13, we'll see the great mission of Jesus, what he does. Hey, Jesus, what do you do for a living? That's what we'll see. And then we'll see in verses 14 to 18, the great grace of Jesus, what he has come to do, what he has done. Right away, John gets to the point. As, as soon as you start his gospel, he, he immediately dives in. He is, he is laser focused. He wants to draw our attention, our focus from everything else. And he wants us to see something. He wants to see someone. He wants us to see who Jesus really is. And so he, he starts off showing us the great identity of Jesus. That's the first thing we're going to look at. The first truth we're going to unpack. The great identity of Jesus. And he says something. He says, in the beginning. I might wonder, in the beginning of what, John? What are you talking about in the beginning? And John means the beginning, beginning. When everything began. When, when the cosmos were created in the beginning. You know, hey, Genesis. And John, by the way, he's a good Jew. And so when he says in the beginning, he's, he's thinking back to Genesis 1.1. And, and, and it says, in the beginning, God created. And John says, let me, 
let me help explain something to you. Let me help expound some truth here for you. Let me, let me help you see something. In the beginning, back in the beginning, when something difficult to wrap our heads around, when, when, when time and space were created, in the beginning, not God began, but was. In the beginning, was. So before the beginning was God. Before the beginning was the Word. So we see something very important. We see that he's eternally, this, this Word, which is a strange way of speaking about a person, right? This, this Word, he was eternally pre-existent. He's, he's, what does that tell us about who Jesus is, about his identity? When we say, hey, I, I'm Matt. How are you? you know, who are you? What's your name? And he says, I, I, I'm the Word. I'm like, okay. And by the way, I was in the beginning. John says he's the Word. He was in the beginning. Before the beginning began, he was. He was eternally pre-existent. Why is that important for us to know? Because we need to understand that he is not subject to anything or anyone else. God is, is not subject. The word, Jesus the word, we'll see this later throughout the book of John, throughout the gospel of John, the word is not subject to anyone else. We put our trust, our belief, in the one who has always been. That's meant to stabilize our faith. He's unshakable. He was in the beginning. Sometimes we forget and we, we think that things have always been as they are. But there was a beginning and before the beginning, in the beginning, there was the word. He was already existing. Now, that's a strange way of speaking of a person. But back in that day, in John's time, it wasn't actually altogether strange. There were two kind of groups of people that John was writing to in his gospel. He was writing to both Greeks and Jews. Those, now, they weren't Greek um, by birth, but, but Greek by upbringing, by way of thinking, Gentile-like people. They were, I thought, like the Gentiles, and predominantly that was a Greek way of thinking in that culture. And so it was other Gentiles, Greeks, or Jews. And so the Greeks, they had this notion. They tried to figure out life, and when they looked at the world, they saw order. They saw that the sun rises and it sets, and it does that on a regular, ordered basis. The, the stars, they move in the heavens. There's order there. It's reliable. We can see that. We can, we can plan those things. We can trust in those things. There's an order there. There's an order to life. There's an order to when you plant a seed, it grows, and it creates whatever that seed is. So if you plant corn, it becomes corn. If you plant wheat, it becomes wheat. There's an order to things. There is a rationality to things. And so the Greeks were, were smart. They thought if there's a rationality in everything we see around us, kind of like in Romans 1, 1, when it says that you can look around at nature and you can see that there's an order. There is a rationality driving everything. Yes, there is life sometimes is chaotic and we don't understand everything, but, but if you look around, you can see that even the way that a tree is shaped, there is, there's symmetry, there's order, there's... Majesty. If you ever study science, you can see that in, in Fibonacci sequences. There's a beauty, there's an order in all of creation. Now, the Greeks didn't understand all the details, but they could look out and see that. And so there's an order, there's some rational thing. So there must be something rational driving this. If, if, if creation seems rational, there must be a rational mind that created it, that this rationality flows from rationality. And so they create this idea called the, the word or the lagos, the, the word, this rationality, this, this principle of 
which everything exists, this, this rationale, the embodiment of reason by which everything that's reasonable came to be. Others saw this word as an outward expression of a personality, the, the embodiment of that personality, the message. In the Old Testament, the word was tied to the very activity of God. God's activity in creation, God spoke and created. God spoke and he delivered. The word of God came to Isaiah. We see as well in like Psalm 107, 20. Psalm 107, 20, the word is an active expression of God. It says, he, he, he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And I, and I like how D.A. Carson put it when he says, in, in short, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation and revelation and salvation. The personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to God's ultimate self-disclosure, the person of his own son. Another old guy named C.K. Barrett. He wrote, he said, John intends that the whole of his gospel should be read in the light of this verse. If you don't get this, if you don't get who Jesus is, you won't get his entire gospel. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. If this be not true, the book is blasphemous. In the beginning was the self-revelation of God, the organizing principle of, of the world, the, the very message and power of God. In the beginning was the word, the same word, by the way, that we saw in Revelation, in Revelation 19, 11. Uh, as a church, we went through the book of Revelation last year, and, and I love it. We, we not only see the word here, John, writing in the Gospel of John, but then many, many years later, when he's an old man, he wrote Revelation, given to him directly from Jesus through an angel and... He says, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name, who is this? It's called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He, he not only is the Word, the embodiment of God, the, the activity of God, He is the, the person of God in action. He is the revelation, the self-disclosure of God, the message of God. He is a separate entity from God because it says the Word was with God. So the word is both God fully and yet with God. This is the doctrine of the Trinity is where we get this from. This is the Word was with God. It's important for us to see this person who came to walk the earth that we'll see later on in a minute is he was, was God and he was with God in the beginning. Eternally, not the same person as God. One as God, God in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the word, the Son of God. Co-equal to, eternally existent with God. Eternally in relationship with God. Not in need of any thing or anyone to satisfy. He was with God. If God is, is, the, is the absolute perfection of all that is good, if he is the ideal, if he is completely holy in all of his attributes, then there's no way that anybody said, well, you know what, the reason why God created man is because he was lonely and he needed us. No, he wasn't in need. And so that's why he created man. He, he created man to know him. He created man to glorify him. He created man to exalt him. He created man to enjoy him. 
in the beginning, God was, the word was with God and the word was God. Co-equal in relationship eternally. And then it says again, uh, John's repeating himself in verse two, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This, this word, this Jesus in whom we believe, he is all-powerful. He is eternal. He is all-sufficient. He is completely satisfied. He doesn't need our worship to make him feel good about himself. This word, this one, he truly is great. And then look in verse 3. Not only is he, is he the word, he's eternal, he was with God, he was in the beginning. In verse 3 of, of, of John 1, it says, All things, all things, everything that is was made through him. And it says, without him, nothing was made that was made. So John's drawing a point. He says, all things created by him. You're like, well, John, what about these other things? Well, no, he says, all things. And by the way, there's nothing that exists. Nothing in all existence that exists, exists apart from him. He created all things. Everything that's made, he's made. What does, that, what does that say to you when you're beginning this book of John, who you're believing in? You are believing in the eternal, the almighty, the one in whom all our delight is. And in him, all things were made through him. And He's over all things. You need to see that. You need to see he's over all things. He's in charge of all things. He's not in need of anything. He's not hindered by anything. He's, he's all powerful. The one we believe in, he is all able. He spoke and the cosmos sprang into existence. He's over every part of the cosmos and he's over the smallest particle. He's over the smallest quirk or the, the, still the, the subatomic structure and the things we haven't even discovered or understood yet. Everything that was made was made by him. He's infinitely wise. He's infinite in his understanding. So who do we come to? Who do we focus on? We focus on the eternal one. We focus on the one who is all-powerful, all-sufficient, all wise, infinite in understanding. That's who Jesus is when he says, hi, I'm the word. I'm the word, I'm in the beginning. I created everything. That's who we need to see. In the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of, uh, of all of the difficulties in life, we need to look up and see who this is in whom we have life. And yet this word, he came on a mission. He didn't, it's not just telling us who he is. He's saying he has a mission. This, this great mission of Jesus is what we see in verses 4 to 13. That's the second truth that we see is in verses 4 to 13. This great mission of Jesus, the revelation of Christ. Look in, the, look in verse 4. It says, in him was life. Always was. Life always existed in him. And, and that life has always existed in him. He's the source of life. He is all life. That life was the light of men. Jesus came so we might have life. Now, the devil came to destroy life. The devil came, when he came, he, he substituted real life for a counterfeit life. You see, true life is found by living in God, trusting in God, and, and, and being in relationship with him. And, and, and life apart from God is no life at all. And yet, the devil came in to convince us to live for ourselves, live a life apart from God, to separate us from God, to bring death. But yet in Jesus was life, and his life was the light, the illumination of men. You know, that's what, that's one of the scriptures that everybody holds up at the football games, right? John three, sixteen, right? 
But the beginning, a little bit before that, John 3.15, it says, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He came so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Not, not, not the promise of, of life here on earth and all the riches of this world and the fame of this world, all the things the devil came to offer, uh, life and fulfillment in him, in the devil, life and fulfillment in this world and things here. Um, that's, that's not true life. That's not eternal life. Jesus came to whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Because God so loved. It was motivated by love. God so loved the world that he gave this word, this only begotten son, who had whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. In him was life and the life was the light of men. You know, the devil always promises a false, false life. But life, getting all those other things we need most, we think we need most, we don't have life in those things. Life is only found in Christ. Don't be deceived. It says in John 10, 10, Jesus told them, and he says, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The things that the devil offers life in, fulfillment in, satisfaction in, gratification in, sex, riches, whatever, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came, he says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then in John 6, 35, Jesus kind of expounding on the same theme. He says to them, I'm the bread of life. I'm, I'm the very food, the very substance. I am really what you need most. What you're really hungering for is me. I'm the bread of life. I'm what you need most. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Are you hungering? Are you thirsting? In him is life. Don't look to satisfy your hunger and all these other things that we can get so distracted by, the things I listed at the beginning, or maybe there's something else in your head. You're hungry, you're thirsty, believe and find life in him. It says, his life is the light of men, the true illumination of men, his illumination, his truth, it illumines our dark minds, it dispels the darkness, it dispels this notion of, of living for the created instead of living for the creator, and it dispels the darkness, and his life is what makes our dark minds light, it brings truth and dispels darkness. Look in verse 5 of John 1, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sometimes it might feel like it, and John says, you need to see the truth, the darkness has not overcome it. John, who's writing in Roman times, in dark times, after the Romans put Jesus to death, he was resurrected, and John says, no, the darkness has not overcome it. We serve a resurrected Lord. Now, he, he kind of alludes to a couple things. He, he's also alluding to physical darkness and creation. In Matthew, it, it tells of the transfiguration, that Jesus was transfigured before his disciples, and it says his face physically shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. So in some sense, there is a physical sense that Jesus is actually the source of light. It's a little mind-blowing. Revelation 22.5, it tells us in, in Revelation 22, same author here, um, and there will be no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, they will reign forever and ever. So there's a sense in which all the heavens and the earth will fade away, but he is the eternal light. But he's talking about something else here. He says, the darkness, the, the dark condition of our hearts, and, and all throughout the book of John, you're going to see that this, this present darkness, 
This darkness that darkens our minds, that gets us to thinking that what we need most is the things of this world. That light shines in the darkness. It illumines and shows us the life that's in Jesus. And no matter what it seems like in this world around us right now, we need to see that the darkness is not overcome. I don't care who wins or loses an election. Now, it doesn't mean I don't care, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. What matters is that this present darkness will never overcome. No matter what happens in the world, if, if the virus runs rampant and we all die physically, the darkness is not overcome. We need no fear. Evil is not overcome. The revelation and salvation of Jesus. John 8, Jesus spoke to him again and he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, 46, you can write that one down as well. He says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Don't remain in the dark. Believe in Jesus. See the light. See the truth that life is found nowhere else and in nothing else. What we, what we need most in life is the life that God came, that God gave when, when he came in, in Jesus Christ. In him is life. And then it tells us in, in, in verse 6 through 9 of, of John 1, it tells us that there was a man who came to testify of Jesus. He, he was a prophet. Now, the gospel of John is not written by the John he's writing of in, in verses 6 through 9 here. He's writing about John the Baptist. John who came in the spirit of Elijah. John who came in that same vein of Elijah and Isaiah and Moses. He came as a prophet to point the way, to be a witness, to testify, to bear witness, to be a, a testifier of, to be a prophetic voice, to declare who Jesus was. And so John the Apostle is writing and saying, do you remember John the Baptist? He was a prophet and he was testifying of this. He spoke God's word and he spoke of this true light. He wasn't the light. He had some good things to say, but he wasn't the light. But he talked about the true light, which enlightens everyone that was coming into the world. If you feel like darkness is overcoming you, what, what do you need? You, you need to be enlightened with the light of the world, Jesus. Set aside everything else. See that what you truly need is found in him. Look in verse 10 of John 1. It says, he was in the world, speaking again of Jesus, and it says, he was in the world, this word, the word who was God and with God, he was in the world, this light of the world, the life of the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. The creator was in the world. The, the world that he made, he came down and became a part of. And the scandal, John tells us, and we'll hear all throughout the book of John, he explains and unpacks this later. The scandal is the great creator, the creator of all, came down, became a part of creation. And yet, although he was the creator, the world didn't know him. It didn't recognize him. It didn't see him. And so John says, I want you to see him. The world didn't see him. You need to see him. He came to his own even. Not only did he come to the world, but he came to his very own people, the people who God had chosen and called. He came to his own, and even his own didn't receive him. There's something in there that we're going to see later in the book of John. There is something in these verses that is terrifying. The world didn't know him. His own people did not receive him. And we'll see that all who do not receive him will be judged by him. All who did not receive him will be eternally judged and find only eternal death. 
Instead, what we see here is that let that not be us. He came to his own. His own people didn't receive him, but he, he came so that the world might know him, so they might have life in him. And here's the good news in verse 12 of First John, of John 1. It says, but to all who did receive him. So some might reject him, and other people around you might be rejecting him now. That, that, that's, that will result in their separation, continued separation and death. And he says, but here's the good news. John's giving a little prelude here, and he says in verse 12, he says, but to all who did receive him, what does it look like to receive him? It says, who believed in his name. Believe in who he is, what we've been talking about. He's the word. He's with God. He was God. He's in the beginning. He's the light and life. All who believed in his name and who he is, his character, who he came down to be, all who believed in that, that God came because he loved the world. It says he gave the right to become children of God. Born not, look, look in verse 13. So John unpacks, how does this happen? It's the answer to Nicodemus' question. We're going to see later on in John. It says, you know, how... how how am I born again? And, and so he says, not of, not of blood. It's not your heritage that matters. I don't care if you were born into a Pharisee's house, if you were a Pharisee of Pharisees. I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. It's not of blood. Now today, it doesn't matter if you're born, if your dad's a pastor, or if you're a missionary's kid, if you've grown up in the church. That's not how you receive Jesus. Now, in that setting, you might receive him, but that's just being born of blood, being born into a Christian household, being raised in a Christian household, acting like a Christian, that's not how you're born again. Doesn't mean that you are born again. That verse challenges us. I want it to challenge us because our hope is not in that. Our hope's not in our heritage. It's not in being born of blood. And look else it says. It's not, it says, not of the will of the flesh. What does that mean? Is our confidence, it's not in bloodlines, it's not in heritage, but you know what it's not of? It's also not of the will of flesh. It's not, not of what we determine, not what we do in our bodies. It's not of effort, it's not of works, it's not a, a great desire to accomplish. It's not, it's not how much we can do from God that makes us born again. It's not uh, our desire to earn God's favor. It's not our will, our desire to say, God, um, look what I've done in the flesh. Look how good I am. That makes me born again. No! And, and maybe you've grown up that way, putting confidence in the flesh. You need to, to see who Jesus is and who he came to save. He came to rescue people who put confidence in the flesh and he came to make you born again, not of the flesh. He wants to deliver you from being enslaved to find your value and worth by what you do for God or how you serve. It's not how much we do or have done that makes us acceptable to God is what he's saying. Not of the flesh. It's not about your heritage. And it's not of your flesh, it's nothing you do. It's, it's whether you're God's child that makes you valuable or worthy. And how do you do that? Is it, is it, so it's not heritage, it's not of the flesh. And then he says something else. It's, it's not of the will of man either. It's not even your own choosing. It's not even your own choosing that makes you born again. And you think, well, wait a minute, he's talking about believing. I have to believe, and that's how I receive him. He says, yes, but what you understand is your belief and your receiving is not dependent even on your choosing. That's not how it comes. You must believe in order to receive. But even that, your confidence isn't even on your choosing, ultimately. What makes us God's children, where our ultimate hope and trust is, is that we are born, it says, but of God. Who were born, in verse 13, of God. Hi, I'm Jesus. Here's what I do. That's what we see in John. 
His mission is to adopt, is to bring a people to God, is to make you one of God's children. That is what's most important. Jesus came so people might believe and receive who he said he is, believe in him and have life and be born again. And then what we behold in this good news and this gospel is the great grace of Jesus in verses 14 to 18, the great grace of Jesus. The great grace, the favor of God, it's seen in him not rejecting humans but in becoming human to save humans. The overwhelming favor is that when the creator came and people didn't recognize him, he didn't kill us all. The great favor and grace of God is seen in not him rejecting humans, but in saying, I'm gonna choose, I'm gonna make a plan from the very beginning to become human so that I might save humans from darkness, from death. The word, what we need to see here, the word. Don't lose either aspect of who Jesus is. He is the word. He is eternal, divine, almighty creator. And he, scandalously, this is where the Greeks and the Jews would have become shocked. It says in verse 14, and the word, this rationale, this reason one for the Jews, the, for the Greeks, the very, the very activity of God, the message of God, God incarnate, this word, God over all, became flesh to the Jew, a scandal. How could God become man? To the Greek, a scandal. No, the, the cause of all being could not become a being. And it says, yet the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word for dwelt is, is literally pitched his tent. He, he tabernacled. Now, there's John pointing back to a few things. John does a lot in his gospel here. He's, he's, he's talking about a new covenant, really, a covenant that is based on the life of Jesus, the covenant that doesn't come through Moses. He tells us in just a minute here. Doesn't come through Moses. Doesn't come through the tabernacle. It comes through him tabernacling with us in his own flesh. This covenant of grace. He's revealed himself. He's become human. He fully took on humanity. And then it tells in verse 15 again, it says, John bore witness about him, talking about the, John the Baptist again, and he cried out, this was he whom I said, he comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. What John the Apostle is trying to get our attention with, he's saying, look, this book can be trusted. This is an eyewitness account, not just of me, but of many. And you're gonna see, it started with the eyewitness account of the prophet in the Old Testament genre, the prophet John, giving an eyewitness testimony of God's word, testifying of who Jesus is. And, and by the way, this book can be trusted. This account of Jesus, it's not conjecture, it's truth. It's a careful, thoughtful eyewitness account. It introduces us to Jesus that we might know him, we might believe in him, we might have life in him. And, and John tells us in verse 16, look at verse 16, he says, and from what? And from his fullness, not from the fullness of the world, from the fullness of what we think we need, from fullness in anything else, and from his fullness, we have all received what? Grace upon Grace or grace in replace of grace, or grace up, uh, in place of favor, and grace on top of grace. 
Favor on top of favor. Now, what favor is he talking about? Look in verse 17. He says, the law was given through Moses. So, in, in some sense, the law was even the grace, the favor of God, because the law provided a way to come to God, a way to relate to God on his own terms, because we only can relate to God on his own terms. We only come to God on his own terms. And so, the law provided a gracious way to do that, and yet Jesus has come, and from now his fullness, not in part, not, not one person, not once a year, not small atonement, not partial atonement, but in full grace full grace from his fullness we've received grace upon grace grace on top of the grace of the law the grace and truth that's come look in verse 17 through Jesus Christ better than the grace of the law pure favor of God through Jesus giving us himself the truth that it was always about trusting in God by faith that even the law was meant to point us to the fact that it Salvation was always by grace through faith. And so God graciously, Jesus graciously came to show us that we could never atone, we could never be good enough. His grace shows us we could never have enough favor. But God's answer was not to give us what we deserve in the wall, but to offer us his grace on top of grace. To make himself known personally to us, to invite us to come to him in a new way. And that's the invitation to you through this gospel to find life, not through the law, but through the grace and truth of Jesus Christ from his fullness. Nobody's ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. He's, he came to make known God, to, to make known how do we relate to God, that we can relate to God through Jesus. He is the perfect embodiment of God. And, and here's the thing you need to see as, as we're we're going to close and we'll close in worship in just a moment. But when you're thinking on these verses, I want you to think about what they mean for us as well. You are trusting in the Word, the one who is the rational cause of all things, the one who always has been, the one the source of all life, the one who is the perfect embodiment of God, the, the one who spoke and created, the all-powerful one, the eternal one. You are trusting in the all-wise, all-knowing one who holds all things together. And also you are trusting in the God who out of love became flesh and dwelt among us and extends his grace to us. And get this, you were in his mind before the world began. You see throughout other scriptures that he chose us in him before creation. Before he created, he was, and by the way, when he was, he was thinking of you. He was choosing to create you. He was choosing that you would be born. He was choosing that you would hear this message and that you would listen, you would hear who he is, that you would put your faith and trust in who he says he is and that you would believe and that you would have life in him because he is the giver of life. Your life is not happenstance. He's created you. He's chosen you. He's called you. You're a part of his plan. The reality is he's always been at work and he is still at work in your life now and he's wanting you to receive his grace and truth because he wants you to find life he chose us before the world began why would he abandon you now is there there's nothing that can stop 
his powerful working in your life. There is no other place of wisdom than him. There is no other sufficient one to look to than him. There is no fullness that we could ever seek aside from him. There is no revelation that we could ever get that is greater than him. Scripture is filled with wonderful truths of who God is and and Jesus came to show us God because he wanted us to receive life in him. We were part of his plan from the beginning. Whether you get sick or not, whether things seem dark or not around you, whether storms physically rage as they have the last month or so in the area, you can trust God. You can trust this one. He's not just flesh. He is flesh, and that's merciful because he identified with us in every way to take our place. He identified with us in every way to take our place and to atone. The word became flesh. But what we need to see right now is, is God. What we need most right now is God. Jesus is God and he has made him fully known so that astoundingly what we need most is what we can have most by his grace as we believe him, receive him, and are born again. Amen? Well, let's pray, and I'll have the band go ahead and come up, and we'll close in a song that I'd encourage you as the band is singing. Maybe things have distracted you. You've gotten, you've put your hope in other things. I want you to to confess that to God, not a condemnation. He doesn't condemn. He came to give you grace. Confess that. Receive forgiveness for putting anything ahead of him. Say, God, I want to see you. What I need most is you. Help me remember that. Help me see that. Help me see who you are that I need most. And Lord, help me trust in you and believe in you. Let's pray that way right now. Father, we are weak. We are frail. We're so easily distractible and distracted. God, thank you that you make us your children. You make us born again. And it's not based on our efforts. It's not based even on our choosing. It's not based on our heritage. But we can have confidence that if we believe your word, who you are, Jesus, what you came to do, what you've done, the fact that, Jesus, you came to take our place, to live in our place, to die in our place, to atone for all of our sins. And that you were raised to to life and so that our life is now found in you. When we believe in that, you promise that we receive you and when we receive you, you make us born again. And we become your children. God, let us see that that's what we need most. You are what we need most. May we come to you again find fresh faith in you again. In your name we pray. Amen.